Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the world's most fantastic podcast. That's right. It's Uncanny Treks covers Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Tonight, we are talking what would be the third original trade of the run. It's called The Future Foundation. It's volume three, and it covers issues 579 to 582. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Doing okay, Bob. A little confused at some things, but I think you're going to help me out, help me work through those issues as we go through this episode. Only some of them. Some of them are between you and God, or at least between you and John Hickman, Matt. Okay, Bob. I'll be sure to get in touch with John Hickman. <laughs> get him to clarify. Or God. You ever think about You ever think about prayer, Matt? So I think God has other things to deal with other than me asking how to, to clarify some things in the third volume of Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run. No, Matt. Nothing, nothing is more important than you. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, maybe I'll get, I'll get caught up with God and get this figured out. Before Matt catches up with God or before we catch up with these four issues, Matt, these four issues are branded with the Heroic Age banner at the top of the cover. Do you know what the Heroic Age is? I don't have a clue, and that was the first thing that threw me off. <laughs> do you remember Dark Rain, the thing I said I didn't want to explain and then explained anyway? Yes, I do remember that. You did explain it very well for the, me and oh, the listeners. Thank you. Did I explain it well enough that you remember what Dark Rain was? If I listen to the podcast, yeah. But lo, these two weeks later, it's gone. <laughs> All right, so do you remember what happened at the end of Secret Invasion, the really bad Marvel crossover? Yes, that's the one Norman Osborn becomes. He becomes like an Iron Man or something like that. Yeah, Iron Patriot, yes, I believe. Yes, this yes, is the yes, I do remember that. But Norman helps defeat the, the Secret Invasion of the Scrolls at the end of the Secret Invasion crossover. And so the publishing era that comes after Secret Invasion is called Dark Reign because Norman is in charge of superhuman for the U.S. government. And so it's the Dark Reign. Does that make sense that does make sense so the heroic age is what a return to the original heroes yeah there's a another bad crossover i think it's siege where norman osborn tries to conquer asgard oh. at the end norman is overthrown the heroes are back to more or less the status quo it's called the heroic age marvel was also stressing that they wanted this to be a return to right optimist superhero storytelling because the Marvel Universe from maybe Civil War through Siege had been very scary a lot, very ongoing, and also very dark with you know, superheroes fighting superheroes and the villains winning. Does that make sense? It does make sense. They wanted to go back to more of the Golden Age when the heroes won. Things were brighter yeah. and happier and smiling. Probably <laughs> the Silver Age for Marvel, but I take your point. I take your point. <laughs> a new 52, if you will. This was, I believe, only one year before the new 52. What? Are you saying that DC may have stolen an idea from Marvel? No, because DC did it worse and more intense because Marvel didn't restart their continuity. Oh, yeah. Restarting continuity is not fun ever. No, no. It's a bad idea. Don't do it, folks. It sucks. Speaking of which, did issue 579, which is to say the first issue we're talking about of Hickman's Volume 3, day, did it feel like a restart? It did because the last issues we read if i'm not mistaken what was in the last issue that we read about we're talking about cities correct yeah the last issue was the negative zone city and the beginning of the war of the four cities right and see i don't feel like it picked up where that left off it started over or did something different which confused me a little but i'm kind of used to that i, I having read the krakoa stuff i'm cut now that's <laughs> when i look at something by jonathan hickman well, yeah. Hickman does like his abrupt swerves and his like, shifts in focus, but I, I also feel like this is 
maybe not just what Hickman would want to do. It's also him having to respond to Marvel's publishing initiative. So, hey, it's the heroic age. We're starting over. You have to make it a jumping on point. Maybe a restart point is too hard, but nonetheless, it feels like you could jump into the run at this point. You could yeah. pick up this volume and know what's going on, not be that confused. And I'll talk about that more towards the end as well. Before we get into that, I did want to shout out Neil Edwards did the art for the birthday issue and the new Earth issue that we covered in our first issue, our first volume. And he's back for all four issues this week. It's not Dale Eaglesham, it's Neil Edwards this week. Uh, Matt, what's going on in issue 579? So Reed berates everyone except She-Hulk at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Yeah, Matt, are you familiar with the Aspen Ideas Festival? I'm not, but I had to Google it afterwards. You asked me what it was and I have an idea of what it is, but for the listeners, Colin. Yeah, they don't call it the Aspen Ideas Festival in the comic, but it is the Aspen Ideas <laughs> Festival. I think it's one of the most evil assemblies in human history, full of evil U.S. government people, evil Silicon Valley people. But that's not exactly why Reed hates the Aspen Ideas Festival. Reed hates it because it's full of neo lum and Malthusian. Are you familiar with those terms, Matt? So neo is the fear of Luddism. Luddism is the fear of the effects of new technology. When I get my new iPhone, if is it going to try to eat me or things like that? And in its more defensible <laughs> form, not is it going to eat you, but is it going to make your life worse? Is it going to expose you to more corporate and governmental surveillance? Is it going to atrophy your attention span? Is it going to be a way that your employer can squeeze more work? out of you in your off moments that that would i think be a more realistic neo neo luddite position. no bob the iphone doesn't do any of those things you're right i'm i'm, I'm clearly just delusional <laughs> what about Malth what Screw about Malthusian? i wasn't as familiar with this one the more people that we have on earth the less food there's going to be and the less stuff there's going to be the population is eventually going to have to decline right yeah yeah that's the idea that's the idea malthus is this late 18th early 19th century economist who really didn't like the poor he is a capitalist economist in the tradition of adam smith and david ricardo but he really doesn't like the poor and he's very worried that population will outstrip food supplies that hasn't happened systematic in the way that malthus feared that it might but you know, that also doesn't mean it won't happen in the future so it's something to think about there's only seven billion people in the world although we are heading to a real demographic fall off over the next hundred years but the question is before the demographic fall off is the large population gonna unduly strain resources and lead to starvation that's the question will um, we suffer? and also it's worth noting that it's not just that the population naturally causes people to starve it's also that governments don't adequately provide for people it's not just like oh there's a lot of people therefore there must be a disaster there's other factors at play that malthus is not always good at uh, understanding oh, you're such a socialist i am a socialist but yeah <laughs> that's true i do really want to challenge one thing reed says in the speech reed says that people today are living better than they ever have before i would say rich and middle income people in the developed world are living better than anyone else in history. But it's a little bit more of a dubious claim if you look at poor people in the developed world and if you look at the developing world. It's arguable that people's living standards in a lot of places have actually gone down. So I, I just want to say it's not the open and shut case that Reed thinks it is. Have you seen those like one room things that like the Chinese people live in? It uh, makes no. me so Ur sad. Urbanization is a challenging thing. Like conservatives love to be, oh, well, poor people have iPhones now. Sure, in the U.S., some poor people do have iPhones. But when healthcare and housing and food are out of your reach, an occasional luxury like a iPad or a, you know, a nice TV that doesn't balance out that 
it's objectively harder to live now than in prior decades. That has always been my thing, too. Apparently, poor people can't have nice things is what rich people want. Clearly, the fact that you spent one one paycheck on a nice TV, Matt, if you didn't spend that one paycheck, then you would be able to meet your very high rent. That's a reoccurring cost every month. Right? Yeah, Bob. Or I could pay the 5% of that medical bill. <laughs> or I could have an iPhone. Which would you rather do? Uh, Matt, beyond his speech, Reed makes some other dubious claims to Alex Power. Would you like to run those down? Reed comforts Alex Power by telling him about his perfect SAT score will get him women and beer. But we all know that's not true. Women do not care about your SAT score. No one actually cares about your SAT score. No one. Most colleges don't even care about your SAT no, score. No one now, cares about it. It was yeah. such a big deal back in the day. No one cares. And the only thing I remember, I know that my SAT, I think I barely broke a thousand, whatever. And then I also took the ACT, the other test. And when I went to show up for the test and sign in, there was this guy there who was supposed to be covering my shift at work so I could take the ACT. And I'm like, dude, why are you here? And he's like, I've got to take the ACT too. So now Pup Pup was, who's running the go-karts? Well, we're over here taking the ACT. These are, <laughs> these are the kind of problems I get, yeah. Bob. As somebody who does essay tutoring as a part-time job, it's an entirely ridiculous test. I would say maybe one in six, one in eight, one in 10, somewhere around there questions is utterly subjective and you can make persuasive arguments for multiple answers. It doesn't measure much of anything. That's what yeah. I would say. Bob, part of my job is taking standardized tests and trying to help students better understand how to answer and navigate these questions. And mm. I struggle because there's so many answers that could be correct if you have a multiple choice test, especially when you're talking about literature or reading, you know, narrative. There's some literature that would suggest there's a connection between SAT performance and whether or not you finish college. But I haven't in-depth looked at that research, and so I couldn't I couldn't say if it's actually true. But that, that would be the only argument I would consider. Do you want to take over and describe our moloid? <laughs> Kerg is the floating moloid head. You'll notice, Matt, Turg, Turg is not a pet. Turg is an equal member of the group. You got me from last week. I still think he's a pet. Hong <laughs> seems to be the eldest of the moloids. Kor is the baby moloid who likes food and quoting King Lear. And then you have Mick the moloid. Yes, Mick yeah, the moloid. Yeah, Mick the moloid. He's tracing an arc that runs through the warring four cities. So, you know, we're good. Get some moloids. Yeah, Turg is the floating head. Mick is the one with the visor. Kong is usually the one holding Kor. Yeah. Yep, there's moloids, and Bob. It's not super clear in the scene in 579. Based on their presence in this scene and with the future foundation in the next issue, it seems like Sue is asking the old fish king of Atlantis to send his two children, who we don't have names for, but their names are Vil and Wu. He's asking the old fish king of Atlantis to send those two children to the future foundation. This is the kind of Jonathan Hickman does that makes me go, am I missing something or do I have it? I'm not sure if it was supposed to be a note of suspense or if it was just a short scene that was maybe more elliptic than intended. It was only one page, so maybe that's what they were going for. Does it seem like uh, Franklin was doing a Guy Gardner and or a Karate Kid impersonation in this issue? Him and his little Karate Kid up is hilarious. Like, we have these kids at my work that go to the Taekwondo thing every day, and he looks like one of them. So Matt, what's up with Val and Dragon Man? She's working on Dragon Man is what she's doing. She's updating him, upgrading him, improving him to be the best Dragon Man he can be. So Dragon Man is going to be a member of the Future Foundation along Alex and along with Val and then along with Vil and Wu and along with the four Molor. And he's and not just a babysitter with... anymore, Bob. He shoots fire. Not, not just a babysitter. He's a scientist babysitter, Matt. He attends their so, classes and everything. What's up with Reed and the Wizard in this issue, Matt? 
Well, he goes to visit the wizard at Pavlov Metahuman Psychiatric Facility. I like how Hickman has Reed as this embodiment of this optimistic belief in the future, then wizard as a pessimist. Wizard's terrible line, at least Hickman and Reed think it's a terrible line to read, is this is all there is. Which I want to believe in Reed's optimism, but as we stare down climate change and nuclear war, <laughs> the wizard sounds pretty persuasive. But don't worry, Bob. Reed's going to fix the wizard. He is going to fix the wizard. Specifically, his threat to the wizard is that he's going to be a better father to wizard's clone son than the wizard ever was. That's a very good threat. That's a dark threat. We learn as Reed opens up the Future Foundation at the end, he's all about that pass-fail grading. I'm a fan of pass-fail grading. Matt, are you a fan of pass-fail grading? Basically, you're either proficient or not. In an ideal world, I would just grade my students pass, pass with distinction, fail. That would be the three options in an ideal world. You have criteria and stuff, right, for that? Or would you just look at them and say, pass, pass plus, you fail? <laughs> My usual approach to grading, Matt, is that I approach a student's paper, I make it bleed with a number of comments, then I give it a B, a B plus, an A minus. That's usually how I approach a paper. It varies if it doesn't hit the page count or if it's really bad. I don't give it an A minus or a B plus, but uh, that's usually how I go. So I feel like this approach spares me from having to have rubrics. If a student really wants to complain about a grade, I will, I will go get a rubric and then like show, okay, this is why you're here on this rubric. But I, I don't like doing that and I don't often have to do it. So. Student comes up to Bob and is like, I need a rubric. Bob's like, my rubric's all up in here. Points to his head. <laughs> you don't need to know my expectations. I know my expectations. Rubrics and grades are make-believe and busy work. And so I just don't. Let me yeah. tell you what a rubric usually does. For smart kids, it just it makes It shows them, them how to do the bare minimum. Exactly. They just go through and check off. Okay, I got that. I got that. I got that. Okay, I'm good. And they turn it in. That's usually what that boils down to. So you, you are right in that sense. It, it destroys any actual critical thinking that they may have to make because it's kind of you already outlined what they need to do. I do give sometimes sample papers, but you don't have to do it just like this, right? Look at that. Bob handing out exemplars. Good job, Bob. All right. Matt. So uh, <laughs> You really care about your kids. <laughs> I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, Matt. <laughs> Shall we talk about issue number 580? Fantastic format. Sure, Bob. So the Future Foundation assumes their first group project is trying to solve an old problem of Reed's that they think he approached in a too binaristic way. So Matt, did you have a guess or a speculation early in the issue about what the project was? Well, I thought it was just going to be some ridiculous cosmic thing with sun and planets or solving some major problem in the universe. But it ended up that they just want to get rid of Uncle Ben's ugliness. What happens to Franklin while the Future Foundation gets ready to upstage? Well, while they're, they're doing all their, their think tanking, Reed is busy off teaching, so he sends Johnny to take Franklin and Leech to the toy store to get Franklin an Impossible Man action figure, where they have to form a team of four with the real Impossible Man to defeat Arcade, who actually owns the toy store. But Matt, do you know who the Impossible Man is? I, I really hope you don't for your own sake. I, I don't have a clue who. I thought it was just made up for this issue. I just thought it was supposed to be like generic superhero that Franklin was wanting to purchase an action figure of. I really don't want to have to tell you this, but the Impossible Man is the Mr. Mixup of the Fantastic Four. That makes Visually, he looks closer to, who's that guy from the Flintstones? Gazebo, maybe? Gazebo, yeah. Gaz Gaz Gazoo? No. 
his name is the Great Gazoo. Yeah, he's the Impossible Man is the Mr. Mixit's Pitalik or the Great Gazoo of the Fantastic Four. I don't necessarily love this issue of the Hickman run, but it is the first uh, Impossible Man story that I've ever found mildly tolerable. Every Impossible Man story I've ever read before this, including the ones from the original Lee Kirby run, I deeply hate on a moral level. I, I didn't really care for the Possible man. This issue was okay. Like, there wasn't anything wrong with the issue. That mm -hmm. was not my favorite character. Here, he's playful, but he's not as antagonist to the FF as he often is when right. he shows up. Instead of the Human Torch action figure, Franklin clearly wants a Spider-Man action figure, and then Leech wants something with Repulsor. Does that mean Leech is an Iron Man fan, or is that a Miss Marvel thing? I wasn't totally sure who who Leech was going for there. I think Leech was going for Iron Man. Leech will be Iron Man one day. I'm sure of it that makes sense because i think this is 2010 two years after the first iron man movie yeah, can i just say how weird it is that reed richards they can create all this crap in their lab but the kids still want like toys like repulsor rate like pr pretend repulsor <laughs> iron man dress-up kits when they have the actual iron man armor at their house they could probably wear it, or reed could cook them up something the kids always say that what their parents do is lame and they always want like some other sort of alternative that's a good point especially if that alternative is advertise them to them in a cartoon show map on that point about parents and kids, I did find Johnny's ex to Franklin that his dad, Franklin Storm, spent more time with Sue because they were more alike, just like Reed and Val actually was sweet. That was kind of sweet. One thing I want to point out, Bob, before is that how much I hate Arcade. I cannot stand Arcade, the villain. And before you do that, let me just say, I, I do like we're continuing this motif of Johnny totally doesn't know where he is. Last week, he was in this Lovecraftian cult negative zone club. Didn't notice. This week, he's in a toy store run by Arcade. Yeah, Didn't and, notice. And I just hate Arcade. I have one reason for hating him, and it's called Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge. I hated <laughs> that game. It is so difficult. It caused me unnecessary rage at a young age. Do you know what Arcade's response to your angst would be, Matt? What would it be, Bob? Get good, nerd. Even if I got good, I don't think I could. The game is broken. I don't think anyone's ever beat it. Yeah, you got to watch the perfect run through yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> Matt, were you surprised at the reveal that what the Future Foundation has actually been working on was during the thing? Like when it came here, I was like, oh, that's kind of sweet. But at the same time, why, if these kids can figure out, why hasn't Reed? And then they had a good explanation. The binaristic thinking, Matt. Ben is the voice for your point where he's like, you've been trying to fix me for years, and now you're telling me a bunch of kids outsmarted the smartest man on the planet. Well, the whole idea that you can, like, switch on and switch off the powers that's the moloi mix point which is a, a kind of a good point right that all the other ones have an off state for their powers except for the thing thing apparently had an off switch but reed didn't figure it out in time well it's not that he had an off switch but it's that he never thought about giving him an off switch he only thought about curing him yeah it's that binary thinking I do also like that Bentley 32 suggests that they clone Ben before he takes the cure, just to be on the safe side. That the whole cloning thing. This comic makes me fucking in the same world as what happened in Krakoa. This feels like a consistent Marvel universe because we're talking about clones, we're talking about all these crazy cities and different things and different civilizations, different groups, obscure characters coming back and coming into things. It's fascinating how Jonathan Hickman's writing is just weaving a world that has been around for so long, but this is much more interesting. I'm feeling there's more to it. I take that point. It's also interesting that in this arc, in the first issue, we have Reed that is most self-righteous, then immediately that undercut by the second issue, where he gets owned by a bunch of kids because they're able to look at the problem more holistically than he is. Hey, we can make Uncle Ben normal for a whole week. And there's also that tragedy of if Reed had thought of this 15 years or so ago, it might have 
been a lot more he might have been able to control it a lot more right but but instead it's at least as they explained it in the issue it's the thing is so oversaturated with cosmic radiation now that they can only give him one week a year i did want to ask did do you think this was hickman's uh, secret way of smuggling in the thing ring from the cartoon possibly bob because you know thing ring the dude could go from being benji Grimm to the thing with his thing ring turn it on and turn it off this was a subtle nod to that thinking in that cartoon as i understand it the thing is a mutant from the cosmic radiation but the side effect of the process where the scientist gives him the thing ring to control the transformation means that it turns him from an adult into a teenager which is very weird maybe that's the answer is it's good the future foundation kids solved it now because he doesn't have to become a teenager. Whereas if Reed had given him the thing ring in Fantastic Four number two, it would have turned Ben into a teenager, and that would have been weird. I'm just going to say, the Fantastic Four is really weird. If you think about it, they're a little bit of a merger of 1950s horror and kaiju. Well, not really horror, but kaiju and science fiction horror comics of giant aliens invading, that sort of stuff. They're a hybrid of that with 1950s Superman storytelling. And so there is this horror element, especially to the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man that's interesting in early Marvel. There's this combination of the science and exploration piece that you don't really get from X-Men. Yeah, get the science yeah. from Mr. Sinister. Yeah, that's another part because it anticipates Star Trek. It's FF predates Star Trek, but you also had those adventure comics of Challengers of the Unknown and Sea Devils and the original Suicide Squad in the late 50s that are like similar groups of scientists, groups of explorers. Kirby created the Challenger, so there's really a continuity there. Right? Also, we've got All two right. issues left in this. Yeah, we got a two-parter, Matt. It's 581 and 582. You want to tell us what goes down in the two-parter? Future Franklin returns after his birthday mission to see future Valeria, who looks just like her mother, and their grandfather, Nathaniel, who launched their own time travels. Nathaniel goes to visit his college son and forms a prequel, Fantastic Four, with College Ben and College Doom. Future Valeria goes to visit her mom in the present. This is a minor point compared to all the stuff you just raised, Matt. But for me, as a, as a nerd who likes to read philosophy, I find it very amusing that College Reed is a Hegelian. And of, of course, College Doom is a Nietzschean. That's obvious. Do you, do you have any sense of who the German philosopher Hegel was, Matt? Uh, actually, I did look it up yesterday, Bob, but I already <laughs> forgot. So go ahead. The philosophy professor describes it as the true is the whole. That's yeah. that's not a bad one-line description of Hegel's philosophy. Have you heard the phrasing of the dialectic as thesis, antithesis, synthesis? Yes, I have heard that before. Hegel didn't actually say that, but a lot of times people associate Hegel with that idea of thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Whether it is an accurate description of Hegel is debatable, but you know, that would be another common way people hear him talked about that model whatever its other flaws kind of catch the sense hegel has this philosophy of history where history is in motion you encounter contradiction and then you overcome or resolve the contradiction and you keep the movement of history the movement of science the movement of art going does that make sense that does make sense yes did you find Nathaniel's description of his relationship to Immorta and then his own kind of multiverse counterparts, Nathaniel's own multiversal counterparts, was that easy enough to follow? Yes, for once, I was very clear about this part. Like, Me too. Yeah. I was relieved. Did it stand out to you that it's an interesting inversion of Reed's multiverse situation from the original three-parter we looked at, the Solve Everything three-parter? Where Nathaniel is hunting down and exterminating Ooh. other versions of himself. Okay. Reed is trying to assemble a council of other versions yeah. of himself. <laughs> it's crazy. That right there, like I said at the beginning, this felt like they were starting out, starting over, but like a, a jumping yeah. on point. But it still refers back to the, like it still has the same structure, which is it's pretty fascinating. Well, then the other subtext I like, and I'm not so sure if this is intentional or if it is intentional what it means, but... 
I love how both in the birthday issue and here, Sue is like instantly hostile to her adult time traveling children. <laughs> she pins Val against the wall with her invisible force field here. She doesn't trust people that just show up like in their house. That's the problem. But you also wonder, as Val and Frank are presented here, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, they seem to be well-intentioned, right? right? Maybe it's supposed to be, oh, there's something wrong with them and Sue senses it. It's, it's odd that she does go right after them and doesn't. But think about how many times people just bust up in the Fantastic Four head. Did you get Thor and, or Steel vibes from the different Nathans? I was especially thinking on like the first page of uh, number 582. Yeah, when I did see that, it was weird because they all have different weird-ass outfits. Did you have any thoughts on the Anachronauts themselves? I did a little research on them because I didn't know who they were. My understanding is they were defeated. These guys were defeated by Kang and became his commando. They look like just random offs from other things. You're schooling me on this. I had no idea the Anachronauts had history or associations with Kang. I thought the designs were not amazing, but sort of cool. One's like Gladiator robot gladiator dude gorn there's a little <laughs> monkey man that has like metal limbs short but giant headed pirate guy there looks like some warrior man conan the barbarian type dude they're weird once again though they're super obscure i, I didn't have to clue who these people were i don't necessarily think you have to i thought you were about to tell me bob they've had four different ongoing series at some point no matt that's <laughs> just day tripper from the x-men you leave yeah. her alone the forever people yeah you leave the forever people the forever people walk so hickman's ff could run what did you think of the reveal that the council of reeds from the first volume is so messed up because they're all orphans because of amortis's nathaniel hunt that's what's going on <laughs> i just thought they were just going to stop nathaniel from doing you know killing people but now it all makes sense once you get to that last page were you surprised when future Franklin and future Val tray the surviving Nathaniel because they want to fix the timeline? Yeah, I was extremely surprised. But I mean, it had to happen and Franklin kicks him in the face, which is also funny because you get that one piece of action in the comic literally kicking him in the face. Did you get Crisis on Infinite Earth's energy off of the revision waves and all the fades to white? I got zero hour vibes. Zero well, hour. You do know what the, the subtitle to zero hour is. Zero hour crisis in time. Very good. That'll get you laid. I will say that's probably more likely to get you laid than a perfect SAT score. I don't think either is likely to get you laid, but I think it's maybe more likely than a perfect SAT score. General point, maybe as we're winding down, one of the things that really impresses me about Hickman's FF run is that it takes many, many things I hate, um, which is to say the Aspen Ideas Festival, Multiverse, Etcon, The Impossible Man, prequels, prequel Fantastic Four, if you will, children, and somehow it makes them all absolutely awesome and work together. That's insane to me. The whole thing with the children piece, anytime children are involved in things, in comics, I always feel like this is just going to get weird. Especially when they did it in Superman, when he had kids, it, it always changes things. But for this, it's very interesting, mainly because the kids are so smart that I don't worry yeah. as much about them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fear that they're going to get hurt. But it's also much more natural, or it's a natural evolution of the FF, given that the focus of the series always has been so much on family. The whole prequel piece, too, was interesting in that issue, where you had all the different versions of Reed, Doctor Doom, and, and uh, the robot suit and things. But let me say this about a possible man. I guarantee you're going to see a limited series streaming on Disney Plus with Impossible Man Bob. I would have told you you're insane, Matt, but yet we have an Agatha series coming, so <laughs> I guess nothing's off, <laughs> off limits. I really wish I would have read this before I had multiverse fatigue. I get you, but to me, it somewhat overcomes my multiverse fatigue. Maybe the difference is you have multiverse fatigue, I have multiverse hostility. Yeah, you want you want well-written multiverse stories, not shitty multiverse stories. Well, I, I don't want, don't want multiverse stories right now. 
no i don't want them at all but this is well well done enough that it overcomes my disdain for the genre yeah, and this is very well written i have to admit like i don't think i would enjoy other fantastic four as much as i'm enjoying this just because of the way hickman's done it I like grant oh, morrison and I... batman I'm not going to make you go into a bunch of other fantastic right after this, but at some point in the future, he might enjoy quite a lot the Walt Simonson and the Mark Wade Fantastic Four. He might even enjoy the Dan Slot, although the Dan Slot FS, it's not at this level. The cutout yeah. four boob window thing. That's the DeFalco and Ryan <laughs> FF. I'm not going to make you read the DeFalco. I didn't read the DeFalco and Ryan FF. I skimmed it. The Simonson and the Wade runs have moments that approach how good the, the Hickman run is. I think they're all very worthy. Well, that's good. Awesome. Maybe in the long, long distant future, I wouldn't mind looking at the original Kirby Lee FF. I love it. I think it's really interesting to see how it lays the foundation for everything. But I don't know. It is a lot of comics. Well, Bob, let's talk about these issues specifically. What was your favorite visual? I really like the Anachronic Splash in the last issue. I'm basic when it comes to this stuff. Bob loves those character splash pages. I think it's the same issue. Doctor Doom bashing in Nathaniel's face with what looks like a magical cricket paddle. Yeah, that was a good moment, man. That was a good moment. What was your favorite bit of dialogue, Matt? Similarly in that two-part, that Ben Grimm getting into his robotic suit and saying, I could get used to this. Yeah, it's the proto thing. I'd totally forgotten that in our earlier discussion of the thing ring. I really liked Doom uh, to the hunting Nathaniel. To read burns off the hunting Nathaniel's hand. Bold talk for a one-armed man. Bold talk for any man facing Doom. Doom, doom rules, man. I, mean, I don't want to hype it up too much, man, but Valeria and Doom interacting is just always the best thing ever. It's so okay. good. I think you've actually told me about that before. I think you were texting me as you were reading this at some point. I first read this maybe like two, three years ago. So I look forward to that. Now, my favorite issue in this particular volume, Bob, I'm just going to give it to the two-porter. That seems like cheating, but we'll just leave it at that. It is cheating, but no, I, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. <laughs> I'm going to give it to half an issue in contrast to you, Matt. <laughs> you gave it to two issues. I'm going to give it a, a half an issue. That that averages out. I'll give it to the half of the Future Foundation issue where they cure or partially cure Ben. I mean, the Impossible Man stuff is not terrible, but that's not what I'm giving it to. Bob didn't like the Toy Story part. A Toy Story part. He likes the, uh, the science part. Matt, I've got some bad news and some worse news. All right, Bob, what is it? So the bad news is next time we break the pattern of four issues, we have five issues and you have to read five whole issues. That's the bad oh, news. Okay, I'll try. It'll be a slog. The worst news is, Matt, do you know what the title of the next volume is? I don't know, Bob. I don't know what it is. Just the number three, Matt. Only but, the number three. But Bob and there's a great, But there's a grave on the cover, Matt. Oh, someone's going to die. <laughs> That's right. Well, I need Matt. to go ahead and get, all right here. Let me just go ahead and make a prediction. I have not read ahead and I don't remember. I, I don't know anything. Trust me. I have no clue. If I had to guess, Johnny dies. Don't tell me. I'm just making a prediction now. Johnny dies. I mean, it could be. Could be. Okay. I think I think every member of the FF has died at some point in the 70 years of publication. Uh, death in comics is just not even that real. It does the death, and the death is overdone. Kind of like it does about the best you can do with multiverse. It does about the best it can do with a character death, if that makes sense. Well, I guess I'll look forward to the death, Bob. Join us next week when we cover Fantastic Four volume by Hickman, Volume 4. Three. I'm Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. We are on Canny Treks. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening.